Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Seydorf. Well, welcome back, Rural Scoop listeners. We are set to kick off a brand new series this year with an awesome guest that I'm excited to have you talk with today um, and get a chance to know him. And then we're also going to be segueing into getting to know our Arizona County School Teachers of the Year. I'm excited to have the, to- the opportunity to talk with Ty White. He is the 2021-22 ARSA Teacher of the Year. And this year, he was awarded the National Teacher of the Year for the National Rural Education Association. And he has also, same year, been awarded the Teacher of the Year for the Arizona Educational Foundation. So I'm really excited to have my guest today, Ty White. Introduce yourself to the listeners. All right. I'm really excited to do this with you as well this year. I think that's going to be a great project. So I'm Ty White. I grew up outside of Globe on the way to Roosevelt Lake, actually. A little, we I say community because I don't know what else you call it, but it's just known as the Wheatfields area. Um, I teach chemistry currently in Wilcox High School, although talking about rural schools, my first teaching gig was in a tiny town called Salome, Arizona. And so I want to make sure I give the Bicentennial Union High School District a shout out while we're here. I got to spend some time teaching in South Phoenix at a charter school that was affiliated with the community college. I met an incredible lady. I got married. We have a daughter. Along with teaching in Wilcox, we run a small cow-calf operation. We've got a small, we got two sections of land up under the Dos Cabezas Mountains here in Wilcox. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, and I'm really looking forward to uh, doing some podcasts in the future with you and uh, getting a chance to know the uh, past and then now present Teachers of the Year for all of the Arizona Rural Schools Association counties. And then uh, we're going to kick that part off with our Arizona 2022-23 Teacher of the Year, Liz Colton. So she's, she's actually going to be our next podcast. So I'm excited about that. Having met her in Flagstaff, I'll bet she's going to be a fun one to talk to. Um, so before we get started, just give us uh, a little bit more about you and your background. Tell us more about you besides you have a cow-calf operation and you're a chemistry teacher in Wilcox and you grew up in Wheatland and had some opportunities to teach rural and urban, which is exciting to talk more about as we move forward. Tell us more about you. My daughter gets this from me. I absolutely have that. FOMO disease, fear of missing out. And so I I do just about anything I can take a shot at. When I finished my master's program, my wife bought me a home brew kit. So I brewed my own beer. I actually have to give it away because I don't drink it fast enough. But the microbiology and the science behind it is what I get into. And so that's a lot of fun. You know, I really enjoy going fishing and hunting. Me and my brother put in every year for deer and elk. Actually, I'm taking my daughter skiing this weekend. We're going to go up and hit sunrise and shred some slopes. I team rope. I did junior and high school rodeos growing up, and I bulldogged for a little while. I had a, 
I had a supplemental scholarship to the U of A as a bulldogger. And in fairness, I was a terrible bulldogger, but our <laughs> college region was pretty weak. And so, but I still team rope. It's something that I grew up doing with my family. I rope with my brother. I rope with my parents. I rope with my in-laws. It's, it's, that's the thing we do together mm -hmm. as a family. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of diverse things going on there, but I think that's part of what being rural is, isn't it? You, there's a lot of stuff going on in a rural community. Even people think that there's not much happening, but really there is. You know, I know that one of the things we'll get to eventually is talking about rural advantage. Everything's not crowded out. And so when, hey, we're going to form up a, a men's softball team around here. Well, there's a limited pool to draw from. Let's go join in. You don't have to be very good. Let's just have fun. Let's talk a little bit about what you do on your uh, everyday life from um, Wilcox, Arizona as a chemistry teacher. When did you realize that you wanted to be an educator and what does that journey look like to where you are now? When I graduated from Globe High School, class of 98, go Tigers. <laughs> I went to the U of A with the intention of studying veterinary science. I had worked about two and a half years in high school at the veterinary clinic in town People talk to you about jobs and what's practical and what jobs are going to be available. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to live rural, there's always a need for veterinarians. I left. I had a funny conversation with my dad. I didn't register for a spring semester. That January, he had a work accident. He cut his hand off. Mm. And so I ended up kind of moving home and helping my family out, doing some doing some jobs to help pay bills. And, and one of those first jobs I got when I left the U of A and moved home was working actually at Holbrook Unified School District. I was doing translation and helping teach some immigrant students English so that they could transition and move into their, their regular classes. And, you know, it just kind of seemed to keep growing. I'd, I'd work as a roofer during the summer and go back to tutoring biology and chemistry during the semesters. I was so afraid that I was going to be end up one of those people that left school, didn't go back. I actually stayed full-time enrolled at Northland Pioneer College during that time. And um, I ended up taking just about all the science classes I could take. I got invited to come start substituting at a charter school, and that turned into a teaching job at a charter school. When I went back to finish school at ASU, I kind of figured that everyone who told me I was going to be a teacher might have seen something in me, and mm -hmm. it, it seemed to be something that... I was finding success at. So when I returned to ASU to finish my bachelor's degree, I decided to major in secondary education. And I, I selected my focus to be in chemistry. You know, you meet so many teachers and it's really interesting because some people from the time they were kids knew that was what they wanted to do. And, and that's great. And I like I'm inspired when I hear the stories that brought them into teaching, too. You know, I'd say mine was more of a journey where I was kicking and screaming most of the way. <laughs> Once I got into it and started to find my rhythm, it's really been something that's just, it's rewarding. Every teacher you talk to who remains with it talks about the, the downs because people tend to focus on negative. But when you think and you look back to all the positive stories you've had across a career and you feel like you've had an impact in people's lives, it's, it's a rewarding career. And that's why it becomes part of a lot of teachers' identities. You mentioned that you have been uh, fortunate enough to work in multiple locales. So you've been in a, an urban district and you've been in an, a rural district and you're choosing to stay rural. Why rural? So there's part of it is absolutely the familiarity. 
part of it is the fact that even when I was living in Phoenix and I was able to keep a horse and go roping once or twice or three times a week, it's expensive. <laughs> and and then you got to drive a trailer across traffic and deal with all the people. Where I landed in Wilcox, I've got horses in my backyard. Mm. I can walk out. There they are. I can ride out from the house and go off into the hills, or I can head out to the arena and find somewhere to practice. It's nice to be rural because I like being able to take a short drive and be up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. I like being able to dip out and take my daughter quail shooting with me. Being able to escape into those natural settings is personally rewarding to me. It's mm -hmm. something that I, I value about the rural life. Have you always taught chemistry or have you done any other subjects? So I'm qualified to teach chemistry, biology, and math. And that's pretty much what I've I've done. I said in that very first education job I had, I was teaching English and um, we did pretty well. Those girls learned very quickly. They tested into, like they jumped several grade levels for their reading abilities. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that has more to do with someone else besides me. I've always pretty much been a, a STEM kind of guy. It's not that I don't love the other things. And and gosh, like I said, at Northwind Pioneer, I'm pretty sure I took enough credits in history to be qualified to teach history. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I took, I just took everything the catalog offered because I didn't want to be a dropout, right? Right. But um, my passion is in STEM. I, I feel like I'm a better chemistry teacher than biology. Um I feel like I'm a better math teacher maybe than biology. I think teaching biology is very tough if you do it well. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that people find in rural communities, if you're a teacher there, is teachers are often called upon to teach multiple content areas just because there's not very many people that are on the on the faculty. So you have an advantage in that you've got a, a diverse background that you could bring to bear. That's that's a pretty fair way to say it. Yeah. When I um, interviewed to come to Wilcox, I was actually told that I would come in and teach chemistry and calculus. And I, I taught algebra. I taught algebra too. I'd, I spent all summer working on what it would look like to teach calculus and trying to map that out. And, and I showed up to the back to school week where the, all the teachers get the in-service training mm -hmm. and whatnot to find out that I was teaching earth science, Ames math, and chemistry. <laughs> And a bit of a change. That was, that was, yeah, bit of a change. There was four preps my first year in this district. Yeah. And that's not uncommon, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's not. You know, teachers want that seniority to get to teach what they want. And, and I've pushed for the things I want. But when you dump that on a new teacher, I don't <laughs> think you're always very likely to keep that new teacher in district. Well, they're they're lucky that you were a teacher at heart and you chose to stay. <laughs> So, you know, speaking of that overwhelm uh, for some of our rural uh, colleagues, teaching in a rural setting means that there are some very unique challenges that, that educators are facing. What are some of the things that you have encountered as a rural teacher and, and how have you addressed those challenges? It's funny because those are also going to vary from place to place. You asked mm. what I have found. Yep. The semester before I moved to Wilcox, the main building burned down which meant I moved into a district that had no science lab. You know, then there was the challenge that the insurance fought us over 
how much responsibility they had to cover a new building. And, and so our district struggled, really deeply struggled with the finances to put a new lab in place, to, to stock the lab. Even mm-hmm. when I moved into a classroom that was situated like a lab, I didn't have all the resources I needed. So everything was done on the cheap. There are a lot of interesting and and they can be fun ways to do science on the cheap. But to really teach something like chemistry, those aren't always necessarily the best ways to do it. Um, If the kids don't feel like what you're doing is authentic, even though you know that there's those aspects there, there's a lot less likelihood to have buy-in. You know, they they know when they're being cheated out of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And even though you hope people work together to have some um, a- acknowledgement of what the challenges are, mm-hmm. right? There's if you don't feel like you're getting an authentic education, you're not likely to really engage with the school or what the school offers. Rural schools don't always get the teachers qualified for where they need to be. People weren't really used to the type of rigor that I put forward in chemistry. They were used to the fun teacher that blew things up, <laughs> and it's hard to build a, a positive reputation when you're not as much fun as the last guy. Mm-hmm. The kids don't think about Wilcox as being a place where science is relevant. We farm around here. We ranch around here. Those are old traditional jobs. And until I learned more about farming and, and even the ranching, I did not grow up ranching. I grew up rodeoing. For mm-hmm. people in the audience, there's a distinct difference there. Mm-hmm. There is. Until I learned more about those types of careers, I wasn't able to connect the type of science and technology that was relevant. I could talk to you about you know chemical fertilizers and things like that, but I didn't know about the GPS technology that drives tractors today. Mm-hmm. I, like I had to, I had to learn to move away from the deficit thinking about this is rural and we don't have the same opportunities, and look for all the different site-based opportunities that were relevant. You know, teaching in South Phoenix, I didn't get to take kids up and look at the Wonderland of Rocks and talk about the volcanic erosion that's taken place over centuries. There's a lot of other opportunities that are very specific to those rural communities. And until until we learn to see those as advantages, then that's why you hear people talking about the challenges. Right. That's, that's such a good point, Ty, that, you know, we, we really do have assets in every rural community. It's just a matter of knowing how to connect them to what you're doing in the classroom and finding yeah. them so that you can. I, I mean, that's why these towns exist where they are. If you pointed to Wilcox on a map, you might not know why there's a town here. <laughs> and yet when you go out and you look at the geology that formed this place, and you look at soil properties and you learn about the hot springs around here, powered by the sulfur bed that was laid down with that volcanic activity. There are a lot of really cool opportunities to connect the science and and STEM. You've got to get to know where you're at and learn to recognize those assets. Sounds like the science teacher coming out in you. (laughs) It it does at the worst times, right? I'm going to throw one more back, if you don't mind. We're having to bring in a lot of H-1B visa teachers because we're not having American teachers qualified or willing to teach when they have those credentials. I've seen challenges where because some of these people come from different cultural backgrounds, communities are less willing to to really accept them or to fold them in, right? I think the challenge there is that we need to, as schools, better communicate that these people are part of our community. 
I, I start with the school community and our team of professional teachers and educators who work here. And we need to share and extend that community into our local community and really help these people to fit. Because if we don't recognize that challenge, then the model, both the model of working them here, but also the integrity of treating people like that is a problem that's not going to work out. Mm-hmm. And, and Ty, I would even take that a step further and say that people that are coming from urban areas and are are trying rural, mm-hmm. they really don't have, if they don't have a rural background, that concept of rurality is is very difficult to comprehend. And so coming into a community that might be insular and maybe not as welcoming to those people that are considered quote unquote outsiders. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's not just our, our visa teachers. It might be people that are coming from urban areas as well. When I taught in South Phoenix, my kids were convinced I was too rural to understand their problems. <laughs> right. But when I moved from South Phoenix to Wilcox, I was too big city, right? Right. And that insular aspect of um, small communities meant that those first couple of years, the kids really didn't want to know or understand that I had a rural background. Right. I I was an outsider. That was my first few years were pretty rough here. Yeah. And obviously we're speaking in broad strokes, right? I mean, that's not, that's not every, uh, person that's moving into a a specific community might have a different experience, but, but overall morality, if you're not familiar with it and uh, know how to navigate those different kinds of community structures can be difficult. We've always talked about our kids going from rural towns to college and facing rural or facing culture shock. Mm -hmm. And maybe we should have acknowledged that better when we encourage teachers to move to our rural towns that there would be that same kind of culture shock. Sure. Absolutely. And trying to figure it out and know what's what and what's where. And yeah, it might take some time just to do that adjustment. We talked a little bit about how you do a lot of different things, Um, but we know that a lot of hats are worn by rural leaders, rural teachers, people that are working in rural schools. Um, What else do you do in your school community besides teach chemistry? I sponsor science fair. When I can convince kids to do research, student-led research projects, they're extremely rewarding. I think they're rewarding to the kids. Mm -hmm. I love them. Uh, It's a chance to jump in with them and look at doing authentic research. Uh, Come on. That's part of my identity. That's why I wanted to be a chemistry teacher was the idea that I would be a scientist. I would... Mm. (laughs) And so I always end up with three or four projects every year that I sponsor doing that. I coach the knowledgeable. There are about 11 schools in this southeastern corner of Arizona that have formed our own sort of impromptu league, and we take turns hosting each other. You know, when I first moved to Wilcox, I helped coach the baseball, but that's moved over into some of these other things I'm doing. I I sponsor the science club. I should be calling it the STEM club. But it's for the kids to figure out what they want to do. And by having an organized club, then you've got people willing to step in and help. You've got some money that you've earned over the years to help kids pay for activities. For example, the science club purchased a solar go-kart kit from Sarsaf. I want to be upfront here. I am not an automotive guy. (laughs) (laughs) I I can change a battery. I can change the oil. But there was this need for kids. I wanted 
kids to get involved with STEM who weren't going to go that other route. They weren't mm-hmm. interested in science fair. I mean, you know, I, I call them my gearheads because that's what we call that group in high school. It was an opportunity to get those kids involved so that there's no one being left out. I really feel like STEM right. needs to be more inclusive. There is no one who doesn't belong connected in some way to STEM, STEAM. I got involved a number of years ago with the space settlement design competitions that started to flounder in Arizona, and I asked to step in and keep it going. And at this point, I've actually launched a nonprofit working with an uh, an engineer out of Utah. I specifically host the semifinals qualifying event for the Southwest, meaning New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, California. We've invited some Colorado schools. And I bring some actual working aerospace engineers to help the kids design a habitat in response to a request for proposal. Hmm. When engineers compete for jobs in the real world, they draft their responses, their proposals for these RFPs. And so we're mimicking that. It's modeled to look as authentic to the real world as it can be. Um, We don't build the habitats. It's It's a shorter event than that. But from there, 12 kids from the winning team get selected, and I will help them travel to the international event in Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Wow, that's great. It's It's been a really rewarding program. It's done an awful lot around here to help my kids really start to see themselves mm-hmm. as, as being connected to. And it's neat because locally, there's a geographic formation called the Wilcox Playa just outside of town here. And it's one of the primary landing spots that Boeing has picked uh, for their Starliner capsule before the site was announced and picked. And even after this was going and they announced that location, my kids really didn't see this being connected to them. That's changed because I've gotten a chance to take them to meet people from Boeing. And actually, last summer, they gave us a a tour through the... um, it used to be the orbital processing facility, but now it's where all their clean rooms and all their access is to get the Starliner ready to launch, where they've got to do all those really high-tech precision wow. work before they mount it to the rockets. Now, I said I host the Southwestern one. There was really kind of a wild buckshot about how the American ones were being run. And so the purpose behind forming NCMED was twofold. Um, I'm now on a team that we organize all of the regional U.S. competitions, and we're trying to kind of make that a little bit more standardized and a little bit more equitable for all of those regions. One of my goals and my mission for NCMED is that once we have the funding for that, um, for example, we will fly the kids to Florida. I don't want any kid to be excluded on the basis of finances. And so raising money through that 501c3 status that we now have, I want to be able to lower the cost for participation and to, like I say, help address where those those challenges. If anyone wants information, be sure to leave it in the comments <laughs> and I'll let you know how you can donate to NSIM Education. Good plug there. <laughs> Little plug, right? You didn't know that was coming, did you? That's all right. <laughs> That's a worthy cause right there. The SciTech Institute in Arizona is another nonprofit group. And I am the, I have been for the last couple of years, the cabinet coordinator for Southeast Arizona. Um, I'm about to step down from that and help let someone come in that can grow it more effectively. 
but I'll continue to mentor chief science officers at my school. It's I tell people it's FFA for STEM. Mm-hmm. Everyone rurally knows what FFA yeah. is. And it's the same principle. The kids learn leadership skills. They build their confidence. They select their own action plan that brings STEM into the community. Whether that's the school community or the community community or even a regional activity, like they can choose how big they want to go, but they're responsible to execute that. And so you help coach them along that like an FFA teacher would, but the students themselves are responsible for making things happen. You you alluded to it earlier, and that's the phrase, the rural advantage. What does that mean to you? And, and how is that translated into some of the opportunities that you're talking about as a rural teacher? The first advantage I would say, and this comes down to me personally, I like not being crowded. I live out in a small community where I know most all of my kids' families. I know when something happens, how I can get a hold of that parent when I need to, right? Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's really nice to live in a community that feels that connected. When I had well issues a couple years ago, my neighbor, I know my neighbors, they hook us up to their water system so we can get, so we can make it through until we get the well guy out. Especially with um, supportive administration, I can take kids out and show them hands-on some of the things we're talking about. I can connect things we're learning to what's living around them or not living in the case of chemistry. You know, when I was teaching biology and we're talking about speciation, I can talk to kids here and have a class leader who sits and explains the difference between mule deer and and whitetails and why they live in different habitats. And even then, we can take kids out and see those different structures, those different ecosystems. And so I, I really believe that there's a huge advantage in the rural setting to site-based learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a challenge. We don't have enough teachers here. And so everyone wears those extra hats, but guess what? When something comes up and I really want to be the person that does that, I'm not competing with 30,000 other people to do it. It's I get to kind of have a say in that. I've taught at bigger schools and sometimes you got to go through all these committees and hierarchies. And then, I mean, any business, any school typically has that hierarchy. I know my superintendent well enough. He lives a few houses down that, hey, I've got this really big idea or this opportunity happened during the summer. I can get a hold of the super. No one's feelings are hurt. My principal understands why I went past them on this one. And so it's, again, knowing people in your community is a big advantage. There's, I I know that this is going to be a tough question to answer. So I'm just going to lay it out there. Is there a story from your teaching career in rural education that just stands out to you as an aha moment? Like this defines teaching for me in a rural community. There's so many stories of kids doing amazing things that how would you narrow it down to one? I've learned having an eight-year-old daughter that you can have as many favorites as you want. You know, I've got a story about a girl who came up with this really innovative idea to recycle and get rid of plastic waste in asphalt. And the first year she ran that project, no one would listen to us or believe us, okay? To be clear, when they recycle plastic and asphalt right now, they typically melt it into the bitumen, which is the oil that holds your asphalt together. But if you go above 1%, you start to weaken the integrity of your asphalt. It doesn't bind 
strong enough, it won't hold everything together. She figured out that using a certain type of plastic, it has a high enough melting point that it will survive the heating process of making asphalt and replace the rock. Like I say, that first year, we couldn't convince a recycling company to sell us plastic. We couldn't convince a rental company to let us use a chipper so that we could break down our own plastic that we saved. And after showing a proof of concept, by the second year of her project, she poured the teacher's parking lot at our school with 8% rock replacement plastic. The wow. only place in the world that Plastfault exists is at Wilcox High School. And we're trying to figure out what the process is and how we afford the money for a lawyer to earn this girl a patent on it. But then I had the girl who went to science fair. And, you know, she she struggled with anxiety. She was nervous in class. She struggled to talk in class. She come out from the first round. Mr. White, Mr. White, I just want to check this with you. When we did our project, we PCR'd the, we put the gene of interest into the plasmid, and then we PCR'd it, right? And the point was that her judge, one of her judges had argued with her. Are you sure that's how you did it? Are you sure you didn't do it in the other order? And in truth, she was right. We were working with a, a, a new plasmid technology that I got access to through ASU before it was on the market. Mm -hmm. And while this guy was certainly an expert in his field, he wasn't familiar with this KT vector that we were using. And so this girl who was too shy to talk to her peers in class argued with her judge. Maybe they don't leave chemistry, loving chemistry, but they've learned they've got someone they can talk to and they come back when they need that help. How are you ever going to pick that moment that just means the most? So we talked a little bit about challenges um, in rural education right now, but what is the greatest challenge, in your opinion, facing rural teachers or in your district, for that matter, right now? It's certainly a challenge. I I mentioned this earlier. It's hard to get qualified STEM teachers. And that's a challenge, period, across the board. It's hard to get teachers while we're going there. Right. But rural schools face the challenge that with a smaller scale and less scale of economy, it means they typically pay less. Mm -hmm. or maybe some of the benefits aren't as, as strong. It's like that becomes a compounding factor on trying to recruit teachers. You have teachers in small towns who tend to stay, and as we see them retiring out of the system, you just don't have as many people to replace them with. Mm -hmm. And And it's one thing to say it's hard to recruit teachers to Phoenix, but at least you live in a metropolis that includes Phoenix, Mesa, Gilbert, Chandler, Scottsdale, Cave Creek to draw from. Yeah. When you're recruiting teachers to Wilcox, it's 30 minutes to Benson. So then you've got to convince someone to drive that far or an hour to Salford. You, it's a small community. There's less of a pool. Yeah. And so then you have to get into things like foreign recruitment. You're drawing someone from across the world who's having to leave their families and their familiarity behind. And if you don't really support them and make them feel welcome in your community, and it's a failure to, it's a failure to retain is what it's going to lead to. And so I, I really think that those few things tied together make up those biggest challenges. Recruitment of teachers, retention of teachers, a financing system that makes schools equitable and makes the recruitment and retention of teachers equitable, as well as the learning opportunities that the kids receive 
What would you tell future educators that might be looking to teach in a school like Wilcox in a rural setting? If anyone was indicating like ready, that was they're ready to be sold on the advantages of rural schools, I would pitch the idea that there's a lot of self-determination. Obviously, there's parameters in the school when you're hired to do a job. When you are the department or, or there's only one or two people in your department, you really get to have a lot more say in how you think that gets to be done. When you are one of two or three in your department and it's time to review what curriculum your district is using, you get to have a say. And so that's a really rewarding aspect of teaching in a rural setting. Your voice is more likely to be heard. You know, Wilcox, for example, we are one elementary, one middle, one high school. That chance to know that your voice is being heard is a really rewarding aspect of being rural. So Ty, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want the listeners to know about you? I don't think there's anything we haven't covered, but I've got to plug again here because I'm not very good at it. Go for it. I'm going to invite you to join me on social media. I'm kind of learning it, to be honest. I don't really have very well-established social media links, but I'd love to hear from you. Reach out with questions, share tips with me, just say hi. Here's another tech thing for you. It used to be that when people got their ham radio licenses, they'd share out their call signs and their frequencies and mail mm -hmm. out cards and ask people to send it. Hey, did you hear from me? Send something in. Say hi on social media. I'd love to hear from you. It's so funny you mentioned ham radio. My dad used to be a ham radio guy when we lived in, when I lived in Sierra Vista, and he would talk to people from all over the world and would get those those cards from people from Australia, New Zealand. I'm gonna be honest. Germany. Like, <laughs> I didn't necessarily know that history at the time, but when we first started getting into internet access in our rural towns, right? I was absolutely hooked on the idea of internet chatting. The idea that I was talking to people from Australia, which meant some really late hours, right? Mm -hmm. Or it, it was just something that I got a huge kick out of. I love being in this specific local rural setting, but having global connections. Well, Ty, I really appreciate that you took the time to talk to me today and introduce yourself and the great things that are happening in Wilcox, Arizona at your high school. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. And and yeah, I'm so excited about some of the guests we're going to get this season. I am too. It'll be a good time to get some really fantastic teachers highlighted and the work that they're doing in their rural communities is stellar. So I'm looking forward to it too. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. You can check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Sadorf so you never miss a new release. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.